and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths or STEM an opportunity to share honestly and openly about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shini Somara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed by what I've learned from them when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd like to share with you through silence. This week, my guest is in the field of public health, health media, and promoting health education. Hi. Hi, Shinny. Thank you so much for joining me on this very unusual podcast uh, where it's all about not talking about your massive long list of achievements. Why did you agree to contributing today? I think it's so important to encourage other women to go into STEM. It's such a rewarding and interesting field. And I feel like, you know, maybe women are discouraged or intimidated and I really don't want them to be. I want to share my experience to encourage more women to explore STEM fields as well as public health. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're in a STEM related media, you must be very aware of the public perception of STEM. Yes, I know. There's so just so many campaigns and so many programs to encourage girls to go into STEM. So I realized that it's an important issue and a big issue. And it's great to me that so many resources are being put into it, even at the elementary school level, to encourage girls to become more interested in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, Did you know that you always wanted to work in a STEM-related field? I've always been interested in health. I grew up in a home where my father was a physician. He was a doctor. And I was always intrigued when I would hear his conversations with other doctors. My mother was very interested in health. But I knew I didn't really kind of want to become a doctor, but I wanted to find a way to educate people about prevention and how to take care of their health. And so I ultimately found that public health was the best fit. When did you make that decision? Like as a little girl, take yourself back to when you were really young. Was it obvious that you would end up in the career you have today? So I was always really good at math and science, and I thought that I'd probably end up in a STEM-related field. But as I went through my classes and went through my activities and experiences, the places I chose to volunteer at and learn more about, it became very clear to me by the time I was in high school that that's what I wanted to do. Even working on my school paper, I always wanted to write about health issues and educate people on different topics. And I knew that's where my passions were. You say that your father was a physician. Was he one of your biggest inspirations? And if not, who who was? I would definitely say he's one of my biggest inspirations. He has such a passion for helping people to live longer and healthier lives that, yeah, I always admired him so much for what he does and continues to do. Was there anyone that was a role model for you going into a STEM-related field just because you aspired to have their lives? I would say, fortunately for me, I went to an all-girls high school, and I feel like that is a place where I had a lot of really successful role models, and they just made everyone feel that you could do anything. We never thought there was anything that only boys could do because our school was all girls. 
the girls had to be the student council president or the captain of the debate team. So because we always saw girls being able to do everything, we always thought that we could do whatever we wanted without limitation. But I will say that having gone to an all-girls school and comparing it to co-ed schools, I remember one day I was taking a test prep course. So in the United States, you have to take the SAT as part of your college admissions. And I remember going to that test prep course with some of the other girls at my all-girls school and then being there with other girls and guys from a co-ed school. And I remember that the SAT prep teacher would ask a question and all the girls from my school would raise their hand and were very confident to answer. And I would see the girls in the co-ed schools kind of defer to the guys or not wanting to put their hand up or feeling intimidated. And that's when I realized, like, for me, at least, it was a real benefit to go to an all-girls school where you just saw that a girl could do anything. That's so fascinating. I mean, how old were you at that time? So I started that school at 13. And so I feel like it really shaped me. I mean, the headmistress for our school was publishing, you know, books and, you know, they're really like successful and famous um, teachers who came and gave lectures and our coaches. And it was just such a great environment, which made you feel like you could do anything. I mean, we had to, there were no boys there, so we had to run everything. Yeah, I mean, I find it so fascinating because at that age, girls become very self-conscious. Before then, they, um, I think, you know, boys and girls are just so curious about the world and they have this natural STEM uh, wonder. And then around the age that you're talking about, you know, between 10 and 13, you start to form an identity and then you become very conscious about your abilities in these subjects. But you don't you seem to have been able to dodge that because you were not surrounded by people of the opposite sex. Yeah, and our school offered AP chemistry, AP biology, AP physics, and we were really encouraged to take those classes and I noticed that the teachers really made such an effort. I mean, if they noticed that someone was struggling in class, they'd spend the extra time. They really wanted everyone to do well and to know that they could. It sounds like you were naturally gifted, though, in the sciences. Is is that true, or did you ever have any difficulty? I do feel like science and math did come naturally and easily um, to me, but I feel like even if they didn't, it's not that you'd be the top of the class. You would still be encouraged to try and see where your interest laid, but they did come come easily to me, and I did enjoy those subjects, and Everything was fascinating to me just to understand how the body worked and what could help you live longer or what would make your life better from a health perspective. And it was always very intriguing to me. I mean, even physics is just really something you can apply to day to day life. And so I like that, you know, it makes sense or chemistry is relatable to the products you eat or use in your house. And I feel like there's really real life applicability all of those science fields. And it sounds like you were growing up in an environment where those kinds of questions were asked and addressed and encouraged. Um, And then you were in a school where it sounds like those interests were nurtured. That's really fortunate because I think some girls don't get that kind of encouragement. What would you say to any girls listening to this who are really interested in STEM subjects, but just feel that they're not being encouraged at school? I feel like work hard and find out what you're passionate about, because that passion shows in your work and your enthusiasm. And I feel like people come in to help you when you see that. So if you're at a school where you feel like you're not getting the support you need, 
try and seek out a mentor, try and see if there is a, an after school club or whether your parents have a friend or I just feel like having that mentor makes such a difference, not only in kind of helping you with the subject and the information, but also giving you that confidence and encouraging you makes such a difference, especially in those formative years. When someone told me like, you can do it, you're going to be successful. Like I believe them because they were a teacher. They were much older than me. They were experienced. It just gave me confidence. So I feel like if they can find a mentor at their school, even if it's a senior at the same school or a professor somewhere else, just having someone like that who can help nurture that, especially at that age, you really value the opinion of someone who is older and more experienced and you really trust it. I felt like that I really trusted it. When someone said, you're good at this, you would be good at that. I believe them. And I thought, oh, you know, I should think more about doing this. For me, I went into engineering and there were just very few women in engineering and there were very few girls wanting to take the subjects necessary for engineering. And so sometimes it's not even about ability. It's just about self-belief. Did you ever struggle with confidence? Uh, Were there ever times when you doubted your ability in the subjects? The major time that happened, because I told you I went to an all-girls school and Granted, like if your scores weren't good, you weren't going to get into a good college, but they really made every effort. It was a college prep school to help you succeed. But I feel like the one time that anyone has like excitement and anticipation, but also worry is when you're applying to college. And so I knew at the time, like where I wanted to go to school and where they had the best public health program. And I'll tell you, like when you're waiting for that letter of whether or not you got accepted, you do start to have so much self-doubt. Like, why is it taking three months? Does it mean they don't want me to come? Does it mean that I have a chance of getting accepted? And I remember at that time, I started to worry. Like, you feel so confident when you're going in and you have the scores and the grades and the applications done to the best of your ability. But when you don't hear back, let me tell you, you're just like really doubting yourself every day. (laughs) Maybe everyone out there is smarter. Maybe they had better scores or their essay was better. And I do remember at that time, and I'm sure everyone tells you this, but It's kind of nerve wracking waiting until you hear back from schools. And how do you get through times like that? It's so stressful. I mean, thankfully, everyone else is going through it, too. All the seniors in your school are waiting anxiously to hear back, hoping they got into their first choice or at least some of their top choices. And you kind of commiserate together, but you pray a lot. You talk to your family. You talk to your friends. But it's not easy. I mean, every day you're kind of on edge. When something comes in the mail, you're wondering, like, Does a thick letter mean that you have the informational packet? Does a thin letter mean that it's a rejection or you're running to the box every day as soon as the mailman comes? It's a stressful period. Even when I applied to graduate school, it was kind of the same thing. Like I was so nervous until I hear back. I mean, those four weeks were probably the longest weeks of my life. And I had to go through three months when I applied to college of waiting. You strike me as being someone who hasn't really failed much. Yeah, I guess. I think I'm a hard worker, though. I feel like when I want something, I really work super hard and do what I need to do to get there. So I think that it's a result of me really wanting whatever I set my sights on to happen. Right. So it's about having clear goals. Yes. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, I did a two years master's program um, in international health. And the first year is classes for your master's. And then the second year, you work on a field site internationally to get your data to write your master's thesis. So I had set everything up. Once I finished my year of school, I had a job, I had everything. And then when I got to this foreign country where I didn't know the language and I had never been there in my life, they told me that the internship that I had planned for had fallen through. And 
here I am in a country by myself, so young, like don't speak the language, don't know anyone. And I knew that that was the country I wanted to be in and I wanted to make it work. So what I did was rather than tell my parents, I had housing for about three weeks and every day, even though I had no money, I was eating like saltines and I had a can of Coke for three weeks because I, I was supposed to get paid as soon as I started. So I didn't think I needed extra money. But I went to the coffee shop and made copies of my resume and I went to all the NGOs around that country by myself in taxis saying, you know, I was supposed to have an internship and I don't now, but here are my qualifications. And after three weeks, someone hired me and not only did they hire me, they took me on just as an intern. But after two weeks of working for them, they said, you're doing such a good job, we're going to pay you. So I ended up getting a huge stipend for housing and food and travel and everything. But I mean, obviously, when I told my parents later, they said, why didn't you tell us? Like, you should have just come home. That's so dangerous. You're by yourself in a country and you don't speak the language. But I really wanted it to work. So I was willing to do what I had to, to make it work. Oh, my gosh. That is such determination. Like, young you in a country all by yourself, trying to push your goals through. Yeah. <laughs> and thankfully, it worked out. And, and what did that lead to? Um, what do you do today? What's your day job like? So what that led to at that time was we were doing research campaigns and creating nutritional education campaigns for the country. And I still to this day do that. I do the focus groups. I do the surveys. I try to get the formative data to understand what will motivate you to change a health behavior for the better, whether it's monitoring, you know, your salt or your cholesterol or exercising more or wearing sunscreen or getting annual checkups. I try to find out what that population is. And we work very specifically, like campaigns cannot just be for the entire population. It may be women from the ages of 18 to 24, men in the southeast part of the country between the ages of 50 and 75. And I try to figure out after talking to them through focus groups and surveys, what would motivate them to change their behavior? And it's very different in different populations. So for example, if you're somewhere like LA, where people are more image conscious, if you tell them to wear sunscreen because it'll keep them looking young, that's probably something that they would do in a heartbeat. In other places, that may not be as common. For example, there's a fishing community in Maryland where they always say that they just have so many skin cancers and they just don't care. Appearance isn't that important to them and this and that. And we had to ultimately motivate them with messages that don't you want to be there for your family? And that was something that would ring true and hit home with them. And so I work on really kind of trying to get in people's minds and understanding what will motivate them. Once I find those messages, I'll test them again in focus groups and say, what would be your reaction? Would this make you do this? And ultimately like hoping to just change their long-term health outcomes I think sometimes if you have something in the family, you're a little bit more aware, but those conditions still can still come up even if you don't have a family history. So just giving everyone the best shot they can of having a good quality of life. That sounds like a very caring and nurturing profession to be in. What's the gender balance like? Are there many men doing what you do? Yeah, there is a balance, but there are a lot of women in public health, I'll say for sure. Um, when I was in graduate school, it was probably equal, if not a little bit more women. And when I've had all of my jobs, it's been a really great balance. And I've had really good female role models, too, who've really encouraged me and helped me and kind of given me opportunities. For example, we have to give a presentation today. Why don't you give half of it? Or I'm going to submit a manuscript to a journal, a health or medical journal. And why don't you be a co-author? And that eventually turned into, would you like to be first author? And I think I'm really, really lucky because 
I wouldn't have asked for those opportunities. If my boss was giving a presentation, I wouldn't say, hey, like, can I have half the show and like do some of it? Or I wouldn't say like, oh, you're writing a paper. Like, why can't I be on it? But because these opportunities came to me, um, I was lucky that I had, you know, the chance to kind of grow my skills in a different way. But it has been a very, I will say public health is a very nurturing field. People who go into public health, they don't necessarily do it for financial reasons or this or that. They do it because they want to make a difference. And so the type of people you meet in public health are very nice people. So, for example, the university I went to a year and a half ago, they had their 100th anniversary of the school. And the dean came to um, all the different major cities across the U.S. and had meetings. And he was saying, you know, like he has people working for the U.N. He has people working for UNICEF. He has people working for World Bank. And he's like the one common theme you'll find is that people in public health are just nice people. Like they do what they do because they want to make a difference. What I do is kind of technically marketing. And if I decided to do marketing in a more commercial field, I could easily make two or three times my salary. But I wouldn't get the same satisfaction I get of knowing that I've helped someone improve their quality of life and their life. How do you describe your career as being STEM related? I mean, just technically, how is it STEM related? So it's very much like science based. Like a lot of times I'm doing campaigns on what will motivate someone to get screened for breast cancer. And then I'll do research on people who have the BRCA gene and what impact that has, or we'll look at different scales scientifically to see the anxiety, the worry, like what factors motivate people to get screened. And then when we do do these surveys, it's very statistical, it's scientifically analyzed with the numbers and then complemented with the qualitative research. Um, And then all the issues I work on are all specifically health. So whether it's nutrition and the science behind nutrition or the science behind disease, I think that even in graduate school, you know, because my degree is international health and nutrition, I had to take all of the, you know, the retake all the biology and cell biology courses because that really helps your understanding of the body right and health in general and when we publish in journals like it's always very specific you know our our statistics and our science and all of that i mean you do a lot of researching before you even start doing a marketing project like i need to understand the disease how it happens like the science behind it and it's interesting it's yeah i feel like it's just so helpful to have someone getting these this information out because you and I may read the health medical journals like I read them in my spare time it's interesting to me so I know but not everyone's going to sit down and read like a dense eight page article with graphs and so just getting the messages out and kind of like bite-sized tidbits of things that they can do I feel like makes such a difference you know the information's there like let's just get it to everyone so they can take care of themselves and live longer and healthier lives how did you even know that a job like this exists? Like, did you, was this, did you fall into it? Did this job even exist when you were at school? I mean, how did it all come about? So I've always been so interested and intrigued by health. And I was telling you, I worked on the school newspaper and I'd always want to put different health articles in, you know, when it got warmer, the importance of drinking water and electrolytes, I was always fascinated by that. So when I was looking at schools, our school had a pretty comprehensive college counseling program you kind of talked to them and explain what you want to do. And I said, I wanted to go into health and they talked about public health. So I started researching it more. And then when I became interested in schools, you're right. At that time, I'd say there were maybe a dozen schools that offered undergraduate public health degrees. Now I think there are at least two dozen or more, but at that time it was kind of like a new and upcoming field. I mean, obviously the world bank and the UN and UNICEF has been around for years and years, 
but it was rare to have an undergraduate specialty. So there were plenty of graduate schools for schools of public health, but to have an undergraduate degree where you specialize so early, where you could even start working after undergrad, I think was a new thing when I was applying. Because it was so new that the school I went to, I took my public health classes at the graduate school because they didn't yet teach them at the undergraduate campus, which they do now. Gosh, so it sounds like it was an evolving field when you were just entering into it. But also in listening to you, it sounds as though you have received a lot of support and guidance along the way for you to make informed decisions about your future. I'm kind of comparing my development into my career. I often made choices that I were not informed. So my parents, they told me like, as I was getting this degree, they said, you know what, like we, neither one of us are in public health. So like, we can't always give you guidance. Um, we want to help you in any way we can, but if they're very specific things, like just see if there's someone you can talk to or who can like be a resource to you. And so early on, they, you have your advisor at school and then you also have like another academic advisor. My college is very much like they keep you, they'll have one advisor for you and another one that you meet with monthly. And so automatically, you would have your list of questions when you go in for your monthly meeting, like it was a requirement. So this is where I stand. This is what I want to do. These are the classes I've taken. Um, these are kind of the extracurricular activities I'm getting into. This is what I want to do. And someone who was in that field for at least, you know, 30, 40 years would say, yes, this is a good choice. These are the classes you should take next year. If I said, you know, in our monthly meeting before the summer, I want to take this class this summer, they'd say maybe this would be more helpful. So not only did my parents say like, you know, you may want to ask someone else because neither one of us has experience in this field, but I also kind of had a very structured environment at my university where I had that. And I would just ask, like, I wasn't afraid to ask if I didn't know the answer. And I think that comes from going to an all girls school and having that confidence where they always encouraged us. Like, if you don't know something, ask someone, there are resources to help you. I don't think, you know, all women and girls listening to this have access to those kinds of supportive resources. But that's not to say that they can't seek that support out themselves. How important was this guidance? Because you do strike me as being someone who's extremely tenacious and determined. But how important was outside help? I appreciated the structure just because you know, when you're taking classes at the grad school and you're this like really young undergrad with people who are in their 40s and 50s, you're kind of like, wow, like, am I supposed to be here? What am I supposed to do? But I appreciated like knowing what my next steps are while also having the flexibility. So we'd have electives, public health electives each year. So in addition to having your core classes, biology, chemistry, physics, all that, we would be able to take two electives. So it could be like maternal and child health. It could be environmental health. It could be, you know, biostats was a requirement. Epidemiology was a requirement. So I had some flexibility in that way. And I feel like those advisors didn't end up being my mentors. I'll tell you who my mentors were. So when I was an undergrad, if you take a class and the teacher feels that you have a good mastery of the material, they'll ask you to become a teaching assistant. And so I had teacher a teacher that I was a teaching assistant for from my second semester of my freshman year, first year in college, also my second year. And my second year, I took one of my electives at the graduate school. And that professor, who was a graduate school professor, asked me to be his teaching assistant as an undergrad at the graduate school the next year. 
And so as a junior, I was teaching graduate students and as a senior, my last years in college. And he ended up being my mentor because to give me that kind of confidence that I can actually teach people who are like 20, 30 years my senior. And he was so encouraging. And he always saw something in me that I really feel helped me believe in myself. Like I was, you know, kind of like taking these classes with people much older than me, like my school trains a lot of the health ministers. Someone in my class founded the first AIDS organization in Russia. I mean, really high qualified people. Um, and he was just so encouraging and supportive and gave me a lot of guidance. Like, you know, maybe you should get an internship here. Maybe you could do that there. And I would make the choices that he advised me on and see that like, it really did help me um, go in the direction that I wanted my career to go in. But I would say he more than anyone gave me the belief that I could do anything I wanted. And he was basically my mentor until last year. Um, I would talk to him at least once a week or once every two weeks about my career and talk to him about any major career decisions. And then last year he passed away and I did speak at his eulogy. And I remember saying like, I wouldn't be where I am today without him. And it's so interesting because there were 12 other people there at the funeral. And they also said the same thing that they wouldn't be here where they are today in their career without his encouragement and the confidence he imparted to all of us. So to me, it just really reinforces how valuable it is having that mentor and how much it helps. But to speak to your point of what you were saying that people may not have those resources or have those mentors. I found the internet to be so useful. Sometimes when I'm thinking of something or I'm not sure if I'm going to do something, I feel like there are resources where they have Q and A's on public health web pages, And I'm sure it's, I'm guessing it's similar with other STEM topics, or you can see what other people's experiences are like. I mean, obviously you have to sort out the junk links from the good links, but I feel like nowadays when I have a question or I'm considering an option or trying to figure out something, it's a great resource. But I do feel like if they can connect with someone, I try to be that person. If I'm in an office and someone young comes in, I try to mentor them and say, if you need guidance, you need assistance. I really want to pay it forward because I feel like that was such a crucial part of getting me to where I am today. Yeah, it sounds like um, your mentor uh, really believed in you. And that's just so touching because I think when we're young and we're inexperienced and there's this big wide world out there, we 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 have dreams, but we don't necessarily know if we can. Yeah. And so uh, it's just so amazing that there was someone in your field that could that could say to you, you can do this. I think women really lack that in STEM because there's so few of us. Um, so we lack that in female mentors, but we also lack that possibly because men feel a sort of, feel a kind of awkwardness to encourage us. Do you think that's a fair statement? So this mentor was male. Um, but I understand I've had a friend who was actually going to medical school and when she wanted to apply, she said that she told her advisor and he said, Oh, you're so pretty. You don't need to worry. Like someone will take care of you. Like don't work so hard and stress yourself out. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I was shocked because she was such a good student and she was such a hard worker and like it kind of diminished like the fact that she could accomplish what she wanted to. Um, but I, I can see what you're saying that a man mentor may not always approach you. Like you may need to make more effort. He may feel more comfortable approaching um, other guys. I think in my case, luckily, because I was his teaching assistant 
and we would spend time putting together the curriculums and, you know, with his other assistant too, um, that I was able to develop a relationship. And then over time say, this is what I want to do. This is what I don't want to do. And, and he was just like, so positive and encouraging. I mean, I really like, can't tell you, I wouldn't be where I am today without him. You're very lucky to have had someone guiding you. I think in, in all of the support you've received, it's, it could just quite simply be the connection with another person that is all that's required to really follow your dreams, uh, your career aspirations. Do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, I definitely do. I definitely do. And it's just so helpful to have someone who kind of knows the lay of the land and like how the process works. I mean, I'm sure you're the same way, but like our parents didn't go to school in the country we grew up in. So the college admissions process and all that, we they were learning about it as we were learning about it, right? Yeah. I mean, my parents really did not know um, how to navigate through the educational system in the UK because they did not have that experience when they were growing up. And so uh, I was trailblazing. And, um, you know, if your parents were not from the country you were born in, uh, I'm sure you were trailblazing too. Uh, and that can be pretty tough, you know, paving the way is not the easiest role to play. I agree. And then sometimes I remember I would have friends in high school whose parents, you know, had gone to those schools and were helping them with their essays and someone whose, you know, father had helped them with their essay. And I was like, like you, I was doing it all on my own. Like I had no one to help, no one to ask, like, for something as specific as a college essay, obviously, which needs to come from you. So like you, I was learning along the way, but I feel like when my nephews, you know, apply, I feel like there's so much insight and everything I can give him just from having to go through the process. But you're right. When you're going through it for the first time, it's like you see people whose parents are just like taking them step by step on what they need to do. Whereas you're kind of like, wait a minute, like, (laughs) should I put this in? Should I not put this in? Like what would work? It was, And then also people who have alumni, right? So if you have alumni, that also helps you. Like we had no one here. So we had to basically, like you said, trailblaze and find our own path and get into schools. But we had no assistance, like no alumni, no this, no that, no idea. What kind of characteristics do you think you developed because you were trailblazing? I think I learned to think on my feet. So after I worked overseas, I worked as a consultant and Sometimes I'd just be given a topic that I had never even heard anything about in my life, a different health topic, and I'd have to kind of get up to speed. So as the consultant, I could work with my client and speak about it in an educated way, um, read enough and understand and be able to get what I needed, whether they had a question or they wanted to try something new. I had to learn how to, whether it's develop scales or instruments or screeners or focus group guides, like all of that really kind of, I had to think on my feet and learn, but I think it really gave me the confidence that if you threw me into a situation and said, do X, Y, and Z, I'm able to somehow figure it out, whether I go online, whether I contact people I've worked with or, and they give me guidance of where to find resources, I can usually figure most anything out so far that I've been asked to do at work because I've become very resourceful and had to always like just think on my feet and work on six projects at the same time and make every client feel like they were the only one. Yeah. It sounds like, um, you really have a very positive, optimistic attitude. Um, how important has that attitude been for all of your career experiences? 
I think it's been really important. I mean, I think in anything in life, you can choose to see the glasses half full or half empty. But I feel like there's always something positive in every situation. I think one of your questions um, was like, how do people manage emotions? And I feel like one of the most important things is, first of all, finding something that relaxes you and makes you feel centered. So for me, it's exercise and cooking. Like cooking is like meditation to me. And then I have the added benefit of having something really yummy. But I feel like when you encounter a stressful situation, I try to always find the positive in the situation. So for example, I've had situations where I stayed up all night preparing for a last minute presentation. And then the presentation gets canceled that morning after I haven't slept and it's postponed for a day. And rather than being frustrated, I try to look at the positive and say like, you know what? I'm glad the presentation's done and I can get a good night's sleep tonight without worrying about it. And I can probably do an even better job delivering the presentation with eight hours of sleep rather than one. But I think it's also survival. Like you just have to look at the positive. What good is it going to do for me to just be upset all day and then not be my best for the next day when I'm supposed to shine and give the presentation? I mean, I think everything in life is up and down and I think everyone has ups and everyone has downs, but just looking, trying your best to find the bigger picture. And if you love what you do, I think the reason I'm so positive is because I love what I do. Like I'm passionate about public health. I'm passionate about helping people, you know, to live longer and healthier lives. And so even with work, you know, I'm on the board of a children's charity and I try to volunteer for events. And in my spare time, I'm reading about health and medical stuff. Like I really love it. So I think that also makes it easier to be positive about something if you're excited about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listening to you, it it kind of, I just think being negative seems like a colossal waste of time. Um, but during those down times, um, it's quite hard to pull yourself out of it. First of all, do you ever have times in your job where you're like, this is really challenging. I don't want to be here. Of course. I mean, I think sometimes it's just stressful. Like for me, like I love the bigger picture and the excitement. Sometimes like the day to day, like you're recruiting participants and this and that, it just seems so tedious and boring. And you have to remember it's part of a bigger picture. But I think like little things like exercising, for example, I do a lot of classes with pretty like heavy weights and strength training, which is so challenging. And when you challenge yourself in different ways, it just makes you feel stronger and more empowered. Like you can take on other things, if that makes sense. You're like, whoa, I mean, I just lifted all this weight and did all this. Like, obviously I can do that. It just, even though they're different, it kind of makes you feel stronger and more empowered. And then I think it's just about having the balance. Like if you are having that bad day, do something fun with your friends that night or have some friends over for dinner and cook a nice meal. Like I think in order to balance out the downs, you need to have some ups in your life, whether it's something to look forward to, a concert you're going to, or, you know, a trip or something like that. I think that you can bring yourself out of that by finding balance in other places if you can't necessarily get that at that exact time at your job. Yeah, balance comes up a lot um, and the importance of it, um, because Often women in STEM are very high achieving and they really set very high goals for themselves and have, you know, sometimes unrealistic expectations for themselves. Um, Would you describe yourself as someone that, you know, really pushes themselves hard? Yes, I would say for a long time I didn't have balance. And it was because I told you, like, I love what I do. So I'm happy to work all the time and learn about health and, you know, learn about different, like, new discoveries and how to make people like pay attention to different messages that can increase the quality of your life. Like I could read about health issues all day long, 
But I, I made a conscious effort probably a few years ago that I'm going to have more balance in my life. So if I have a class I take at the gym, like it's a standing appointment before I would have just been happy to work through it and skip the class and focus on my job. But I really made a conscious effort. They're like appointments, almost like doctor's appointments. I can't miss them. Like those four classes I take a week are appointments. You know, if I have plans with friends in the past, I would probably say, oh, I've got to work. You guys go ahead without me. But now I, I've, in the past few years, I make it a point to keep my plans because I find that like that brings a lot of happiness to me. Like having that hour or two where I'm laughing with friends over dinner kind of brings my spirit up or like doing something I'm really excited about, seeing a movie that I can't wait to. And I just come out like so pumped and like, you know, laughing and having fun. So I feel like it makes me an even better person. I feel like my work, I always work hard, but it makes me even happier to have things that lift my spirit. So I guess everyone just has to find out what gives that to you. Like for some people, maybe it's meditation. You know, other people may find that hiking, you know, alone gives them that time to think. I have people that tell me that running is their time to kind of meditate and think and they make all their big decisions. Some people tell me taking long drives. Like for me, it's just cooking and exercising. And I think the thing with me about exercising is I take classes. So I'm not just kind of alone with my thoughts on a treadmill because I take classes like I don't have time to think of anything else. Even if I had a stressful situation that I'm dealing with at work. I have to focus on the move at hand. Otherwise I'll drop a weight and I'll hurt myself or do something. So it gives me that uninterrupted, like 45 minutes to an hour of just clearing my mind. The thing is, young people today are under so much pressure to achieve certain things academically. I think the pressure is increasing. Like they have to cram in more into less time. And people may be listening, thinking, I don't have time to go uh, socialize with my friends or I, you know I will get worse grades if I do that um, what was the turning point for you when you realized that it was important to have balance basically what happened was I just had a busy week and I had a friend's birthday and I was so stressed and as per usual I was just gonna like drop the gift off later and then um, just finish up my project because I really wanted to do well on my presentation and I thought you know what like I don't want to hurt her feelings I'm gonna go and I just came home so energized and excited, whereas I was starting to get so tired because I'd been working on this presentation for, you know, a couple of weeks. And I just came back fresh and energized and ready to go. And it really showed me like the importance of taking breaks. And I think that I've always loved sports, like I've loved activity. I find that exercises energizes me more. And it just makes me happy. Like I think it comes more from an evaluation of like what makes you tick. And for me, what makes me tick is having little things to look forward to and like find people to hang out with. So I'm very protective with my personal time, with who, what activities I do or the people I hang out with, because I want it to kind of lift me up and be a positive influence. Of course, like if your friends are going through something, you'll talk to them and all that. But I'm kind of conscious about not doing things that would necessarily drain my energy, but rather add to it. Right. Yeah. And and what are your perspectives on um, having it all? Like, what does having it all look like to you? So I know everyone has a different definition of having it all. But for me, it's being able to do something I'm passionate about and that I feel is making a difference and contributing to improving the lives of others. Being able to have meaningful and interesting relationships with friends and family. And just being able to have balance where I can devote time to things and people that make me happy like that to me is having it all like if I have a great career and a great support network and have some hobbies that I love like I'm set that to me is having it all 
And what about like in the romance department and having a family and things like, do you have uh, children? Do you want to? How does that fit into the equation? So I feel like if it happened and I met the right person, absolutely, I would be open to it. I could go either way. Um, And I've had relationships throughout my career, which I feel like has only enhanced it, like provided those positive experiences. I do know that when I've seen women in previous jobs who've had kids, it's it's tough. Like with a gender imbalance, you do see the women take the weeks or the months out of the office, whereas the man usually doesn't. Um, so I have noticed that as my only gender imbalance. But I feel like for me, um, having it all doesn't necessarily mean I have to have kids or anything. I'd be if I met someone that, you know, I really connected with and we both wanted that I'd absolutely be open to it. I think for me, I just want it to be the right decision, um, not to do it just to do it, if that makes sense. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, because I think some women have like a checklist of like, got to have this and got to have that. And by this time, this should have happened. And it doesn't sound like you're like that. Not at all. I am not like that at all. And my family's not like that. They always tell me like, you know, wait until you meet the right person. And I feel like I've had a lot of I have friends that are single moms and, you know, they kind of tell me they knew the relationship was destined to fail. And I said, why would you get married? And they said, well, I wanted to have a kid by this age. I want to do that by this age. And now they're really struggling. Like they have a kid and they're a single mom and it's hard to date. So I feel like it's worth it, you know, just waiting to make sure that, I mean, no one's perfect. We're not perfect, but just finding someone that you feel like you're compatible enough with that you have a good shot and of making it work. One of the things that women in STEM face is that often STEM careers involve a huge amount of studying and then a huge amount of experience building in their chosen career. And that can often get in the way of meeting someone and having children, particularly because of our biological clock. What views and opinions do you have on that? It's hard. I'll be honest. Um, I have friends that have stepped out to raise children and it was really hard to come back because things get updated, you know, procedures, processes, how things are done. And so it's hard to get back in. And then I have other friends who maybe did it part time. So devoted time to their kids, but worked part time. So they always had a foot in the door. They may have not gotten as far as they would have had they not worked half days and taken some time off, but they were able to eventually get back to it and work to their to achieve their goals by just keeping their foot in the door it's tough I mean I feel like early childhood's so important and you want to spend your time with your kids but it is I have seen that it's tough to get back in the workforce when you take more than a you know two years off in any field and I've heard this from so many moms who have become stay-at-home moms well what about for women who um because you know being in a STEM career does require you to be quite tough um, and focused and determined. Um, How does that fit in with the role of becoming a parent? I mean, do you think there's a clash or do you think it can quite easily work hand in hand? I've always seen really good, good examples. Um, Very nurturing, great families and kind of exposing their kids to science museums and everything at a young age. And I always see like really smart kids come out of those unions. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I, maybe it's because 
you're not in a gender imbalanced profession because you're surrounded by enough women for this not even to be an issue, which I find fascinating as a thing in itself. Yeah, maybe you're just not aware of the fact that in some like STEM fields, it can almost be frowned upon to aspire to be a parent one day, a mother one day, you know. Um, But it doesn't sound like that's something that's on your radar. Yeah, not really. I mean, public health is, you know, there's a lot of adolescent health work and kids and all of that. So, yeah, it's never an issue. Um, I've heard of in corporate work, it's similar to what you described, where it's frowned upon. But that is really fascinating to me that anyone would frown upon someone having kids. Wow. Okay. That's that's very interesting viewpoint because um, so far uh, it's it's it has come up that corporate situations are highly competitive. Um, do you experience competition at work then, or is that just not something that exists? I feel like it's very public health. You know, it's a different type of person and very nurturing and things like that. But I feel like I've been lucky. Like I've been given opportunities. So, and they're most of the time they are from women, though they are from men too. So I feel like people want others to succeed too. I'm, yeah, I think maybe public health is just an anomaly. I mean, I know that like, like you said, corporate positions are very cutthroat and all of that, but I'll give you an example. So one of my, a lot of my jobs, we have annual performance reviews. And every year they'll sit down with you and say like, okay, well, by next year, I want you to have given, you know, three presentations at conferences or have been a co-author in a manuscript. So you're kind of like told, like, these are the goals you have to set. And then so if other people in the office know you're aspiring to them, you can collaborate with them. And so everyone tries to help each other because, you know, you have to achieve those goals by next year. It's like before your annual review. So you're kind of expected to rise to the occasion and then someone else needs to do something, you'll collaborate with them. You need to get somewhere, they'll collaborate with you. Yeah, it sounds like you're in a really nurturing, encouraging environment. Um, it just, I, I'm I'm inspired that a woman in STEM can be in something so, um, so healthy. Uh, because on these podcasts, I've really been delving into the challenges of um, being in STEM fields. I mean, are there any? Do you have uh, challenges? Yeah, no, I've definitely had jobs where I've worked 12 to 16 hour days when I was a consultant. I traveled every week, like leave Monday morning, come back Wednesday or come back Thursday. And I mean, that is very tiring. Like I will tell you, like you're working late every night and you're just eating like the microwave popcorn for dinner. As a health person, you're like, but you know, It's just, I think that was really challenging, like to always feel so tired, but you just do it. Like you do it 12 to 16 hour days, you work every weekend, you travel every week. I think that was hard and you can't be the only one who leaves at seven or eight o'clock because if everyone else is there until 10 and I was in an environment where people got awards if they spent the night on the couch and it's like, that was kind of the expectation, you know, that you would give it your all, you're available, even when I took vacation time that I would be available. And that was hard because I would take trips with my family and, and they're like, you're taking your vacation. Why do you need to respond to emails? But I was so devoted to my job. So I think that was a hard, really hard thing to get like so few hours of sleep, you know, like two, three hours of sleep and 
just work, work, work. And that was the expectation. So that was probably tough for me. And so you were in that kind of era because your career needed that experience, right? I mean, I'm assuming that's why you did it. So I was a consultant and I just really loved the work. Like I loved the projects. Granted, I was exhausted every day, but I really like loved the opportunities. I loved the work. You're right. It did give me a lot of experience that was helpful. Um, but yeah, like I, I didn't see beyond it. Like, you know how sometimes you kind of have tunnel vision when you're in something. I just kind of was in it and that's all I saw. Like I didn't see the bigger picture of like what I could do in life or where I could travel or this and that. Like all I saw was my next thing for my six projects and this and that. And like, that was my world. I didn't realize the world was so much bigger. And then once I did and got a taste of that and all that, I was telling you, I was like, yeah, I think there's more for me to experience, even though I do love my job, but I think I need to put some like time constraints. And that's when I love that job, but I switched to a job where I could do the same thing, but still go home at six. Yeah. It sounds as though your career went through a bit of a turning point. Um, What do you think brought that turning point on? I think I was, I started getting job offers. That's what happened. And I thought, no, I could never leave this. This is where I want to be for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then I started getting these job offers and exploring them and realizing like, I think sometimes change is scary. I think that job I'd been at the longest of any job I'd been at. So I was like happy and I was comfortable and I was growing and I was, you know, getting promoted and this and that. And when I started getting these offers and talking to people and seeing how, what a great balance they had. I mean, you do not work on weekends, you know, you come in at nine, you leave at six. And I realized like I can still do the work I want to do without having to work 12 to 16 hour days, without having to work every weekend, without having to miss out on social functions or workouts. It took me a while to realize that I could do both or find a job that would allow me to do both because I was, that was my first like big job that I had. And I just assumed all public health jobs were like that, which they aren't. Right. So it was a real process of kind of exploring what's out there and talking to other people and kind of discovering your dream lifestyle, really. Um, so, so coming from a parent who, you know, obviously showed you what it's like to be a physician, do you have any regrets about the career you've chosen? Not at all. I mean, I admire my father for so much for what he's done because he gets calls at three in the morning and you know he's rushing out i mean it's a hard hard life to be on call as a doctor and i have so many friends that i've gone to school with and i also feel like i like the creative process so i love math and science but i also love my classes where i was cooking or sewing or knitting or macrame and so in my job i get to do some of that too so when we create a campaign we may create a radio spot or a television spot or some graphics or posters and I get to be a part of that kind of creative process too so I feel like I get to do the analytical but also use my right brain and do some creative and interesting stuff too I think that it's so I admire anyone as a doctor because the training is so hard and everything but I think for me this is a better fit I like being able to be analytical but also creative and I like the media aspect of it too, you know, using different methods to get the message out. I think I, for me, I made the right choice. I never thought about going to medical school because I just felt like once I got to Johns Hopkins, I knew the career paths I could take. And I was really excited about 
going in one of those directions. So what what does the future look like for you? I think just continuing to try and make a difference and to help people in any way I can to live longer and healthier lives. Like I love what I'm doing. I'm always open to interesting opportunities and working with charities or on boards. And I feel like as long as I can contribute, I'll be happy. I've done it in so many different ways. You know, I had one job where it was television, one job where it was community interventions and you're visiting schools, you know, one job where we would publish papers, another job where we would travel and like give trainings, another job where we used entertainment. So I feel like all ways were satisfying to me, (laughs) just as long as I'm, you know, helping people to get educated on how to live longer and healthier lives. I must say, it's been really refreshing talking to you about your journey, because um, first of all, you don't seem like someone who's affected by other people's expectations of you. And uh, you've just carved out a path for yourself that feels right for you. And no one has swayed your decisions on that unless they have been encouraging. Would you say that's um, an accurate description? I definitely think that's true. But you have to remember, I went to a school that was number one for public health. They're not going to discourage you from doing that, you know. And when I went to an all girls school, like they really wanted you to believe in yourself. So I think that it's also luck of my environment. I mean, if I had gone to maybe a school that wasn't as big in public health, they may say like, what's public health? You should just go into medicine or you know what I'm saying. So I think that my environments have really played a huge role. And I didn't know that they would play such a huge role, but I'm lucky that they did. But I also mean sort of like in terms of your attitude, I mean, you could have within yourself thought, why am I going into public health? But you went for it because that's what you wanted to do. So it sounds like you you know, are very um, confident in following your heart, making the best decisions for your well-being, which is really inspiring. Yeah, I feel like you just really have to follow your heart. And it shows in your work and your enthusiasm, like when you're doing something you love and that you want to do. I feel like it doesn't help anyone if like someone's there and they don't want to be there, right? Yeah, absolutely. So for um, any young women who are considering a career in STEM generally, whichever direction they may go in, what would be your advice? So definitely what we talked about, trying to find a mentor who can really tell you about your field, who has experience in the field and can provide you guidance as well as encouragement and can be realistic with you and say, you know, you can do this and this is the direction I see you being successful in. Um, And just working hard, like people admire people who are hard workers and who want to learn more about the field and want to um, grow and succeed and they will help you, but you really have to find out what you're passionate about. And I've mentioned this before, but your passion really shows in your work, whether it's through your enthusiasm and your desire to learn. And that really results in like colleagues taking the time and making the effort to help you continue to grow in your field or telling you about an opportunity or encouraging you to take part in something. And I, I feel like, you know, sometimes people have limitations, but sometimes they're in their head. Like you've got to believe you can and you, and that you will, like there are no limitations really, unless you put them on yourself generally. Um, And just really finding that mentor who, especially in the formative years when you're in school and you're figuring things out and you're not as confident, who can really kind of be a sounding board and, and mentor you and give you guidance. Like I don't only have that mentor, like I have mentors that I've worked with a job supervisors that I'm still in touch with to the this day 
And it's just like having the confidence of someone who has been so successful makes you more confident in yourself. You have such a positive, optimistic attitude to the way you approach your career that it's just so refreshing. The key take-home message that I've got from speaking with you today is just to really um, look hard at the benefits of every situation you're in, whether they're positive or negative. Um, it's just been so inspiring talking to you. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me on your podcast. So that's all from our STEM guest this week. I have to say I am utterly uplifted by her optimistic um, attitude towards life. I feel like after speaking with her, I never want to be down in the dumps <laughs> through any challenges that I may face in my career because there's always something that you can learn from and grow from as a result of adversity. Thank you to you all for listening this week and I'll catch you next week on Silence. Bye.